Let's open our Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to look at all of chapter 3 tonight. Last week we looked at the last part of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And if you recall, Samuel is... His mom and dad brought him up to Shiloh, and as, as, as Hannah made the vow and her husband, Elkanah, went along with that vow, they take him, per Hannah's vow, to Shiloh. And he's probably five or six years old when he finally gets to Shiloh after she finally weaned him uh, from nursing. And there he is, this little guy in the... In the, in the tabernacle, serving along with the Levites. Because remember, Samuel was a Levite. His mother and father were both Levites. And so it is his uh, job, really, to serve in the tabernacle. And if the temple was erected at that time, he would serve in the, in the temple on, on some kind of uh, rotation basis, like, like they did in uh, David's day. They had a rotation because there were so many Levites they would rotate responsibilities. But here's this little young guy, and, you know, five or six years old, and I'm sure at the very beginning they gave him these little tasks to do. And, and what a wonderful encouragement he was, I, I believe, to Eli, who was the high priest at the time, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were evil men. They, they were probably in their late, uh, late teens, probably early 20s, maybe even mid-20s. And here's this young boy starting uh, with them, and Samuel had a completely different heart than Eli's sons. Eli's sons were very wicked, the Bible tells us, and it outlines some of the things that they did, uh, which really discouraged the people from worshiping the Lord, which is never a good thing to happen. You never want to get in the way of someone's worship, especially when, they're, uh, when, when they travel all that way. And it really doesn't matter what they've done, but getting in the way of people's worship is never a good thing. You always want to let them worship. Um, and so there uh, Samuel is. And remember last week we looked at chapter 2. And as time went on, God began to speak to Eli, speak to his heart, and tell him of his son's corruption. And for whatever reason, Eli did not do anything to his sons. He didn't, he didn't really reprimand them at all. It was a very, uh, he was basically only words. He would only speak words to them, but no action at all. And, you know, if you're a parent and all you say is words, but you never back up with consequences, you're, you're not doing a very good thing for your child, for your son or your daughter. There has to be consequences. There must be consequences. And God held Eli accountable to that. So much so that finally, after the Lord has been telling this to Eli, and he's not listening, God sends a man of God. He sends a prophet. And in chapter 2, really verses 27 through 36, God basically brings Eli to task. He tells him exactly what his offense was and how he preferred his sons over God himself, and how they were uh, committing lewd acts, sexual acts, with the ladies who would come to the temple, or come to the, the tabernacle, and how they would take the very best pieces of the sacrifice, more, more, even more so than what they were allotted to by the law. And so these men were completely out of control. They were young bucks running around with no restraint whatsoever. And his father... Eli would have it so. He, he never reprimanded them. He never said, okay, guys, this is what you guys are doing. You need to, uh, I need you out of the ministry for a season. I need you to think about what you're doing. There's no record of him doing that at all. In fact, he would just talk to them. You know, these aren't good things I'm hearing, sons. You really shouldn't do this. You know, but it was a weak sort of thing. And I love it. Or I don't love it. It says, nevertheless... They did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Now, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? But one thing we have to understand is that when God over and over again warns and warns and warns, and especially those in leadership, and these guys were in leadership roles, they were supposed to be the example for the children of Israel. And instead of being example, they were the ones who were actually more decrepit than those who were bringing the, the, the sacrifices to the temple. There's a real despairing problem with that. And so God tells him, this is what's going to happen. And Eli never did anything. He never did anything. 
And so God tells him that your, your family is going to be cut off. Literally, your sons are going to die in one day. This is a sign to you, Eli. I'm going to cut off your father's arm. In other words, I'm going to cut off your father's strength, not his literal arm, but I'm going to cut off your line. Your line, your lineage is going to come to an end, and it's going to be, it's going to be done because you haven't listened. And that is an interesting thing to consider, isn't it? That God has a line in the sand. He has a line in the sand. We don't know where that line is. Because some people can get away with something for a week, and the Lord exposes it and brings them to justice. Other people can do something for decades and seemingly get away with it. And in fact, that emboldens them to continue in it. And what they don't realize is that God has given them a measure of grace. And that grace is different for each of us. And I don't understand it. It's a mystery that I won't chase because I don't understand it. But I'm okay with that. And it has to be such because if God, if, if I was to measure whatever I'm doing secretly that nobody can see, and I can see somebody else getting away with it. They've been doing it for years. They've been telling me all about it. They've been getting away with it. Now they're coming upon their you know, second decade of them doing this thing. We automatically assume that God is not interested. He's t- turned a deaf ear. Maybe he's even condoning such a practice. When in actuality, God is just giving that person much grace. So never assume that because God is not bringing you to task and not even exposing something in your life, don't assume that he's condoning it at all. He's given you much grace because he is a God of grace. He would much rather us come to him. Had Eli done that, had Eli come to God and asked him to forgive him and then went to his sons and says, sons, you're done in the ministry. I'm replacing you with someone else. God, this, this what we're reading about, would have never have happened. But he didn't do that. He didn't do it. So let's look at uh, chapter 3 here, because God brings this prophet, this man of God, to speak to, to Eli because he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to the overtures that God was making in his heart. He knew it was wrong, but he did nothing, so God has to up the ante in a sense. He has to bring somebody else, and God will do that. If I'm not listening, God will send somebody to me and, 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 and say something to me if I'm not listening. And he might even do it again. God is a God of grace. I want you to know that. He's a God of love. It's because he loves that he does these things. He warns, doesn't he? Think of the prophets and how he warned the children of Israel over and over again when they were steeped in their idolatry during the monarchy and during the split kingdom, how they continued in their idolatry. God sent prophets daily speaking to them for decades, decades, decades. And finally, when the Assyrians come in 722 B.C. and take the northern ten tribes captive, they had no excuse. And then God was continuing to use his prophets to speak to the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and telling them, waking the prophets up early, going and sending them. And they didn't learn anything from their northern sister. They continued. It even did worse things. And finally, God has to take them into Babylon in 606 B.C., through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. There's a line in the sand. We don't know where that is. But Samuel, he was considered by many to be the last judge in the Old Testament, the last judge and the first prophet. In fact, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, it tells us that Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, It says that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And even when he, during the coronation ceremony for Saul's kingship, Saul, or Samuel, excuse me, addressed the Israelites at that time, and he told them, he said, And the Lord God sent Jerubbabel, or Gideon, he sent Barak, he sent Jephthah, and Samuel. He's speaking of himself as one of the judges. So we know that he is the last judge before Saul would come on the scene and the monarchy would begin. And so we know that he was a judge. And even though there were other men and women prior to this in the book of, you know, in the, in the, the Pentateuch, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, There were others who were called prophets. We think of Moses. The Bible says that Moses was a prophet. In Deuteronomy 34, it says, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. 
And there are other scriptures too, but Moses was a prophet. But this was the first time that Samuel, would that would be his sole ministry now, would be he would be a prophet to the nation of Israel. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, toward the end of the chapter, we're going to read that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that's all the way from the north, right up there on the, on, the, on the border of Lebanon and Israel, all the way down to near Edom, down by Basra, down by Beersheba, from the north to the south, everyone knew that Samuel had been established a prophet, established as a prophet of the Lord. It's in 1 Samuel 3.20. We'll get to it tonight. And also Jehoshaphat, when he, when he kept the Passover, and he had that great Passover, it says that there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. So Samuel was the last judge and also the first prophet. Now as we read this chapter, it's important for us that we not only know the word of God, but determine with everything within us to obey it to know it and then to obey it. Because if we do not obey it, the, Lord's, um, the Lord will, uh, or he has his ways of getting our attention. And really, that's what this chapter is about. We're going to see three different times when God was trying to get the attention of Eli, and he wasn't listening. And God had to bring these different chastenings to him, these different warnings to him. And again, the grace of God abounds. And God does this with all of his children, but especially those in leadership positions. In James chapter 3, in the very first verse, what did he say? The Lord's half-brother, he said, My brethren, let not, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. Those in leadership are, are called to a higher uh, accountability. And that's what makes what I do very frightening, I actually. I try not to go off the cuff too much because I want to make sure that I really pray and I really think about what I'm going to say. And I, I write these things down. It keeps me on track. But whenever I get off track, boy, I better watch out because that's usually when um, I make a fool of myself when I do that. Remember Jesus... In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, he says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him much has been, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So there is a greater accountability, and, and, and Eli had that responsibility. And he didn't take it. But if we are disobedient, the Lord will get our attention. We'll see again, and, and it. Uh, in this chapter, we'll see uh, God speaking to Eli's conscience, um, or we saw him in chapter 2 speaking to Eli's conscience. And then finally, when he ignores the Lord, a man of God comes in chapter 2, uh, verses 27 through 36. And, and tonight, we're going to see Samuel, God speaking and whispering into the ear of Samuel the things that he's about to do. And then Samuel has to tell this man that he has looked up to, this man who has taken him under his wing, this man whom he's really seen as a father in the faith, even though he was a compromised man. We're going to see Samuel having to rebuke him, this young man to a very aged man, and God was going to use Samuel as his first prophecy. In fact, uh, this was going to be Samuel's first uh, iteration, really, of his prophecy. And he's going to have to deliver it to the man he was under, whom he knew since he was a little boy. And his first message was stiff, and it was a fatal rebuke of the priesthood. Not only of the priesthood, but also of the men and the men he had grown up under. And think of how difficult this must have been for him. It's not easy to rebuke the one that you're under the tutelage under. Usually it's the older that's rebuking the younger. But what a shameful thing when it's the younger having to rebuke the elder. There's a phrase that says, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so Samuel, just like any person serving the Lord and being in any position of leadership, especially the prophets, you know, they had to be tested. God knew what they would do, but they needed to know how they would respond. Are they going to be a pleaser of men or are they going to be a pleaser of God? And this was a great test by Samuel from the Lord 
and something that everyone must come to terms with. We cannot be a respecter of persons. There is no partiality with God, and there can be no partiality with us. And we have to be a lover of God more than people. We have to do his will and let him worry about the rest. In verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. Notice that Samuel ministered to the Lord. He didn't minister to Eli. He was serving under Eli, but notice, I I love the, the simplicity and the directness here in the word of God. It says he ministered to Jehovah. That was who he was ministering to, and I think that's really important because there is a big difference. Are you going to worship, or are you going to minister under uh, to Eli, or are you going to minister to the Lord? There's a big difference. It's important in ministry or in ministering in God's name that we don't serve a human being. Because if you do, when the human being disappoints you, you're going to be disenchanted, you're going to fail, because your hope was in the human being rather than God. I'll never forget, and you've heard this story before, it's a true story. Many years ago when we had the school here, it was probably in 2000 and, I don't know, 2007, 2008, I was out and we had the school, uh, Bread of Life Christian Academy, and we were very busy, and I was very busy. In addition to the normal things that I would do, there was an added, you know, things going on because I was teaching a couple classes, and I was doing a lot of cleaning. And I remember one day being out in the fellowship hall with my mop in my hand, and I was, I was mopping the floor, and I was just so bummed out, I'll be honest with you, because I don't know how many times I've mopped that floor, that I've swept that floor, And there just came a moment where I'm like, Lord, all I want to do is go into my office and I just want to worship you. I want to learn some new songs. I want to do something related to why I'm here. (laughs) But I felt like everything else that I was doing was everything but that. And I was really discouraged. And I actually had a moment where I just broke down and nobody was around. All the kids were in their classes. I was in there by myself. And I did. I just, I kind of just had to sit down and I just wept. And I'm like, Lord, this is really hard. What is this about? And it was because I was serving with a wrong attitude. I was serving the wrong master. As much as I love Pastor Jeff, I couldn't do it just for Pastor Jeff. And that was my moment where I had to make the, make the choice. And God brought me to that moment where I had, to, I had to find out, who am I really serving here? As much as I love the man and I'd do anything, I had to make the decision, am I going to follow him or am I going to follow Christ? Because if I can follow Christ, if I can follow Jesus, I can do this, and I can do it with a smile. But if I'm doing it just for a man, because the man is imperfect, just like we all are, I can only do it so long. Do you get my point? Eventually, you start wearing out until you remember who it is that you're doing it for. And that's where I was. It's important that we serve God and not man. And notice, it says the word of God was rare in those days. It means it was valuable, it was precious. Nobody was really, there was no new revelation happening. God wasn't speaking to anyone because nobody was listening. Even the professional clergy was not listening. Eli and his sons were checked out. They were in it for themselves. They weren't in it to really minister to the Lord and minister to the people. And believe me, the order is very important. If you minister to God first, then you minister to the people. But if you minister to people, chances are you're not going to worship God. Because they're going to disappoint you. And you're going to get discouraged, but if you can do it for God, boy, the things you can put up with within your own self and from without. Everything changes when you do it for the Lord. And so the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And notice verse 2, it came to pass that while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, so at this time, Eli is an old man. He's losing his eyesight. The Bible tells us that he was a very heavy man. So he's, he's large, he's probably got diabetes type 2, you know, he's, he's probably swelling in his feet, he's, he's losing his eyesight, you know, they got to feed him, they got to change him, things are getting like that. And I find it interesting that it says that his eyes began to grow dim, and I find it interesting that as it was in the physical, it was happening in the spiritual, wasn't it? He had already gone blind spiritually many years prior to this. 
because of his lack of obedience to the Lord, the Lord, his eyesight, his spiritual sight began to dim. And certainly in the physical, it's happening as well. Sometimes these things happen like that. Interesting correlation between the two. But if we are not careful, we can become spiritually blind, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Turn with me to Matthew 15. We'll just look at this passage because what we're going to see here is really what's going on with Eli and his sons are really the beginning of something that's just going to continue to be perpetrated or um, uh, propagated or whatever. It's going to continue to happen. There's going to be a corruption in the leadership, in the priesthood, and it's going to continue on for hundreds of years until finally Jesus comes on the scene, and then finally until the Romans come in 70 AD and take them captive and kill many of them, and they're dispersed throughout the known world at the time. But up until that point, the priesthood was in it for themselves. In fact, look with me at Matthew 15, just the first 14 verses. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress? Notice, underline this, the tradition of the elders... Who cares about the tradition of the elders? The tradition of God, the, the, the things of God, those are the main things. And you know, not every tradition is, ba- is a bad thing, but their traditions were uh, circumventing the, the true things of God. Listen what they did. He says, for, they said, um, why, why do your disciples transgress the, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. <gasps> oh my gosh, in the COVID-19 era, well, you got to wash your hands. At least for 30 seconds, and you got to do this thing with the, the fingers, and you got you to do that under warm water for a certain amount of time, because if you don't do it for the exact amount of seconds, ah, you're contagious. Oh. And they're giving the Lord this big trip. <laughs> Why don't they do all of these things that we do? We do these things, and boy, cleanliness is next to godliness. That was their motto, even though that's not found in the Bible. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he, Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Wow. Think of how many kids they'd be uh, uh, put to death today if that was the case. I think after about the first couple of hundred, I think everybody would fall right in line and be obedient. Especially once word got out on Twitter. You know, a kid's tweeting every day, and next thing you know, there's nothing, and then the parent comes on. Sorry that Johnny's not tweeting anymore. He disobeyed us one last time, and he's buried out back. <laughs> How different things would be. The fear of God would come into everybody. Thank God we live in an age of grace, huh? However, for God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, What profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he might not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, Jesus said. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is where Eli and his sons were at. And this continued to be propagated in the ministry. But their heart is far from me, Jesus said, and in vain they worship me. In emptiness they worship me. They're just going through the motions. There's real no devotion. There's really no love. It's just going through the motions. You know, that's one thing that's really dangerous about rote things that we do. Sometimes it's good just to shake things up. Do things a little bit different because, boy, church can be like that. It can be at 10 o'clock we do this. At 10.20 or 10.25 we start this. And at at 11.30, Pastor Rob is going a little bit too long, and so we start looking at our clocks. And about 11.40, we're fed up with it, but then he apologizes that he's taking so long. And then he finally wraps it up at quarter till. That's kind of what happens, isn't it? (laughs) But notice... He says, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the man, that defiles a man. Then his disciples came and he said to them, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <gasps> oh, so bad. Offended them. Lord, how, you know, you're, you've always been this way. You're just so insensitive. You know, after all that they do for you, after all that they do, and you treat them like this. 
And that was Judas's heart, wasn't it? That was Judas's heart. That's what got him into trouble. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. Notice, they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, they both will fall into the ditch. Not that God was, uh, he wasn't happy about this at all, but that's who Eli and his sons had become. And that's why Samuel was such a breath of fresh air for the ministry, because he was totally unlike these other men. He was a breath of fresh air. Verse 3, and it says, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, and he says, Here am I. Here I am. And so he ran. Notice, he hears the voice of God speaking, but he assumes that it's his master. He assumes that it's Eli. And think of what a wonderful relationship, or what a wonderful heart he, um, Samuel had. Even though he knew the compromise, he still revered them. He still obeyed them. He knew that he was sub- supposed to be subordinate under them. And boy, that's hard to do when your example is not, you know, the one that's supposed to be above you is not doing, being a good example. It's hard, isn't it? But God calls us to do that. Even in governments. Right? That's what uh, uh, Romans 13 is all about. But notice, so the Lord called Samuel and answered, here I am. And so he ran to Eli and he says, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And I, I think it's interesting that God always raises, he raises up when another he is going to put down. And sometimes this is just God's way. It's, it's just a normal way of ministry. Even when the servant is, who's, who is being um, removed, in a sense, even when he's been faithful. But in other times, it's because of contempt. You know, ministry ought to be handed down. You know, sort of like what happened with Pastor Jeff and myself. You know, that was a normal sort of progression. But there are pastors doing things that they ought not to do, that they, they're let go because of corruption. And that is necessary sometimes, too. In Psalm 75, verse 6, it says, For promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. And that's exactly what he's doing now with Eli and his sons. He's going to put down one, and he's going to bring up another, a faithful priest. And Samuel looked up to Eli. You know, and it's important that we as adults that we be those examples to the younger generation, to our kids, to our grandkids. They should be able to expect the best from us. They should be able to see us walking the walk and talking the talk. And you know, none of us are perfect, but I would encourage you that wherever there is a lack in your life, and you know it, especially when the, these younger kids, they're, they're watching, it's time for us to, to wake up. It's time for us to do the right things, to let the Lord stir you up, Say, Lord, what, what am I doing? Is there anything that I'm doing that's not right? And what are the kids seeing in my life? What are my kids? What is my daughter? What is she seeing? How is my life impacting her? Is it for good or is it for ill? And if it is for ill, I'd better change my ways. I don't think there's a parent in this room that doesn't want their child to grow up and be a wonderful example. And you know what, folks? If you haven't been a good example in your life, don't throw, all, you know, don't throw yourself away. God wants to encourage you and love you and change you. It's never too late to be a good example. The devil will say, you might as well throw in the towel. You're too old. You've been at it too long. Your kids have seen this so much, they're not going to change. You don't pay attention to that voice. You change, and you encourage the change, and you be the example, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard, but you've got to do it and do it, and you will be rewarded for that. God will bless you for that. Never, ever give up, because let me tell you, the longer it is that you live in rebellion, the harder it is to turn around, but you've got to do it. You must do it for the sake of not only your own self and your relationship with God, but for everyone who's watching, right? What does the Bible say? To walk circumspect. That means that my, I live in a fishbowl. Whether I choose to like it or not, I live in a fishbowl. Everyone is looking in. I'm, I'm the little beta in the glass container, and I'm moving around. 
And people are looking at me, and I'm looking at them, but they're all around me. I can't even see who's watching me, but they're watching. What's he really like? What's he really like? What are you really like? When nobody sees you, when you're at Wegmans, what are you buying? It's been said that our children may rarely do what we say, but they will do what we do. They watch what we do and they mimic us. So it's important for us. Notice verse 6, then the Lord called yet again. This is the, uh, the second time. Samuel, and so Samuel rose and he went to Eli again and he said, here I am for you called me. And he answered, I did not call you my son, lie down again. And so the thing you've got to ask yourself is why wasn't the Lord speaking to Eli? I think we've already established this because Eli was not listening. He was speaking to Samuel because Samuel had a different heart. But Eli did not have that same heart. Now he was old and on his way out and he was so compromised that God has to speak to this young boy, probably in his teens at this point. He's speaking to him. He's no longer speaking to Eli because Eli won't listen. God doesn't waste words. If I don't listen, God will still love me and I can still be a Christian and I can still go to heaven, but I might not be able to be used because I'm not listening and God will choose somebody else to do something and they will get blessed and I will miss out and my relationship with God will be less than what it could be. Believe me, when you're being used by God, your life is so, so much full of joy. Truly, it's, it's the best thing that ever happened. It's the best thing that could ever happen in your life to follow and serve Jesus Christ is the most wonderful thing in the world. And I'm, I'm an example of that. I love what I get to do. I have hard days just like you do, but you know what? I love doing what I'm doing now. This is my, I, I, I don't deserve an award, but this is my award. This is my reward to be able to do this. I love this. I love to share the word of God, and I love to encourage other people and encourage them. But God wasn't talking to Eli. He was talking to Samuel. And if we're not listening, God will send somebody else. And you recall what happened. You know, first in first, uh, first Samuel, chapter 2, God was speaking to Eli. He wasn't listening. Finally, in chapter 22 of the second chapter, God sends a, a man of God to speak to him. And he's not listening still. And so finally, God has to speak to Samuel. And this is going to be the hard thing at the beginning of his ministry. And we're going to be looking at that in just a few moments. But notice in verse 7 it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of God yet revealed to him. The Lord of God had not been revealed to him. The, the, the Lord hadn't spoken to him like, he had, like he's going to speak to him here in a few verses. Because God was kind of silent, because nobody was listening. But now there was a man there who was listening, so God's like, oh good, finally. I got a young man who really has an ear and a heart for the Lord. And man, I tell you what, I would love to see teens excited about the Lord. Just loving the Lord, just wanting to do anything for him. You know, this culture has ripped them off so badly and I remember, because I remember when I was a teen, I was ripped off from everything. I was sold a bill of goods, and I was shown all the... And the Satan is so clever. He knows exactly how to get my attention. He knows how to get the teen's attention. He does it through the music, through the hormones, through the dress, through uh, all of these things that they, you know, that's important in, in, the, in that time of life. And I was totally ripped off. And the teens today are getting ripped off. They're, 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 they're being given... Spam when God wants to give them porterhouse steak. The can, you know, the spam, just you know, lift up the tab and and you know, sift off the juice on the top of it and flop it and then cut it, eat it. That's what they're getting. Moldy spam. And yet God wants to give them the very best. And the devil is so clever, he makes it look like a sirloin but it's nothing more than moldy spam. And the Lord called Samuel, notice the third time. And so he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you did call me. Am I losing my mind? Can you imagine Eli? He's like, oh, Eve, what's this kid? He's driving me nuts. I'm trying to sleep. 
Couldn't even hardly sleep because of what I ate the night before. And now he's up in the middle of the night trying to, you know, I, you spoke to me. I, you, I know what you did. I've heard you three times. And finally, Eli, he says, go and lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came back and noticed and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. Those are really wonderful words. I think Eli should have been saying that many, many, many years prior to that. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. But there was no servant because Eli had gotten comfortable. He had been disobedient to the Lord, and so were his sons. But now God can speak because there's somebody listening. In verses 11 through 14, we're going to see God confirming again what he told the man of God to tell Eli back in chapter 2, verses 27 through 36. And so now God is going to summarize it for Samuel and tell him again what is about to happen. And so he does. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Their ears will, it's sort of like when somebody's cold or they're, or they're shaking in fear, their, their, their teeth would chatter together. Same kind of idea. Their ears would tingle. Uh, it would be something so horrific. And, you know, in the Old Testament, we see this idiom being used in other places. But notice, he says in verse 12, In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And he told him exactly what it was. He told Eli what was happening. We read that back in chapter 2, verses 26 through 36, or 27 through 36, excuse me. That Eli and his sons would die. We will look at this when we get to chapter 4. We're going to see God's prophecy come to pass. And in one day... And I think it's interesting, too, when God sent the man of God to speak to Eli, he told him, this is a sign that what I'm telling you is true. After all that I've done for the tribe of Levi from the very beginning when they came out of Egypt and all that I gave you guys, all, I, I raised you up and I gave you even the best, you know, the best cuts as people would worship, I gave that to you and I did this and I did that and, and God gave them everything that they needed And he says, but you have not listened to anything. And he says, in one day, and and I'll confirm it, this is how you'll know that what I'm telling you is true. In one day, both of your sons are going to die. And I think it's the Lord's grace that he didn't tell Eli, by the way, that same day, you're going to expire as well. Because that's what happened. We'll look at that when we get to chapter 4. For I have told him, verse 13, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile. And notice, he did not restrain them. Eli, through experience, knows this very well, what he has done and what he has not done. And there are always consequences for disobedience. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, do not be deceived, excuse me, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. When you're a farmer, if you plant corn in the field, you expect corn in the harvest. If you plant raspberry seeds, or you're, gonna, you're expecting to get raspberries or strawberries. That's what you expect. But when you're, what you plant is disobedience and rebellion, the only thing that's going to come up from that crop is ugly stuff. It's going to be corruption. There's no way you can get something good out of something bad. Only God can redeem, of course, but what we do is so important. What we do is so important. And do you have a son or daughter that's living in sin, living in disobedience? Talk with them. Talk with them. Love them enough to speak the hard things to them. Discipline them if you have to. Take away their phone. They're going to hate you for it, and they'll even tell you that. I hate you. You ever had a son or daughter tell you that they hate you? Because they've been so angry, you took, you've taken away their prized possession, 
And for some reason, the phone seems to do it. Talk with them, love them, speak to them, do everything you can to help them. If you do not, your heart will eventually and perhaps many times be pierced through. Be pierced through with sorrows if you do nothing like Eli did. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1? It says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. I've been a grief to my mother, and I'm so glad that now she sees me completely different. And so do your parents, if they're still alive. As a Christian, maybe they don't understand, maybe they don't know the Lord, but there's something different about you now than you used to be. I don't like the way I used to be. That That old person of Rob Kellogg died when I was 26 years old. Good riddance. I'm glad he died. He needed to die. He was a filthy animal. <laughs> he needed to die. And God has replaced my heart with his. And I am so blessed. What is it saying also in Proverbs? It says, 13 verse 1, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Sounds like Eli and sounds like his son's. Notice he did not restrain them. Notice it wasn't that he could not. Notice this. It's not that he could not. It's that he did not. It's an act of the will. It's a volitional act. Just like marriage, everything is volitional. You have to work at it. It just doesn't go on autopilot. You've got to work at everything. Anything that's of value in this life, you've got to work for it. You've got to work hard at it. You can't just cruise and get on autopilot. You have to be thoughtful. You have to be purposeful. You have to be deliberate in everything you do. For the things that are important to you folks, listen, be deliberate. If you love somebody, if you love your kids, if you love your wife, if you love your job, whatever it is, if you love your church, if you love the people in the church, show it now. Be deliberate in your expression of it. That's what makes us so wonderful as a body of believers. Unlike anything else in the world, nobody does that. But we're the only people as diverse as we are. We can do that. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. None of that stuff matters. But we are all under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. He is the unifier. He's the one who unifies us. And we can have dinner together in this place. We can't right now because we're under this restraint. But we used to have dinner together or lunch together out here. And I can't wait for that. Boy, that's a missing part of our fellowship that I'm looking forward to doing again. Looking forward to that, but it's so important. But notice, it wasn't that he could not, it's that he did not. It's an act of the will. And therefore, he says, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for or sacrificed for, I'm sorry, excuse me, the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Are you hearing that? God is saying, they've gone so far. They've gone across the Rubicon. They've crossed over and now... They are wanted individuals. I don't know where that line is, but when you cross that line, and they did, then there are consequences, even judgment at times. These men sinned a sin unto death. Remember in 1 John when he says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. Do you know the difference? I mean, we know that all sin ultimately leads to death, right? The wages of sin is death. That's what it says in Romans 6.23. But there are certain sins that may not lead to death, Immediately, but there are other sins that do. If you're a promiscuous fellow and you have many partners, your sin unto death may be you contract something that is deadly. If you're a needle user, if you're a drug user, that could be a sin leading to death because all it takes is one hot shot and you're done. There's a guy in my street who did lost his 21-year-old son a few years ago. And he talked to his son the night before and the very next day, he was in a morgue because he was a heroin addict, and his father did everything he could, broke his heart. He did everything. He spent a lot of money taking him to get the, best, the very best treatment. He did everything. I mean, this guy 
was telling me about this, and I'm just like, I'm floored listening to this. He did everything for him, but it was a sin unto death. And the, 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 the young man didn't know. He was just going to get high like any other time. He didn't know that, that whatever shot he was going to take was laced with something a little bit different, and it killed him. It was a sin unto death. We need to always pray and intercede for people and things until the Lord causes us not to. I don't know of a time when the Lord has really told me not to pray anymore. But he did that with Jeremiah. When Jeremiah, when God was prophesying through Jeremiah and giving him prophecy, telling him to go to Israel, go to Judah and Jerusalem, tell them that because of their sins, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. Because of their sins. And he lays them out there in the first couple chapters of Jeremiah. And they didn't repent. They continued in their sin, right? And there came a point in Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 16, that Jeremiah was going to pray for the people of Israel, and God tells him, therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. What? God, you're telling me not to pray? He's like, yes. For you and I, we, most of the time, we will never have to experience that, but there is a, is a point. When we cross that Rubicon at some point, and God says, you know what? They've gone too far. They've gone too far. Judgment is coming, and it's not going to stop. That's what happened with Jerusalem. There came a point. They had crossed the line. Don't ever get into that place, folks. That's why it's so, so serious that we take these things serious. We take sin serious. I fear in the church today that we're, we're getting really comfortable and we're, we're, we're thinking that God is condoning something, and he's not condoning it. Believe me, anything that you're doing that you know is wrong, you need to turn from, especially habitual things. You must turn away, because if you do not, you are going to be in deep trouble. Your relationship with God is going to be affected you know, incredibly. If you're born again at all, if you're born again, you, you may be going to heaven, but like Paul said, you're going to get there by the skin of your teeth, if so, by fire. Because there's going to be no good works of yours that are going to last. Everything is going to be burnt up, and you're going to be standing there naked before God with nothing. But praise God you made it if you're born again. But if you're not born again and you're doing these things, boy, you've got to turn quickly. Never play games with the Lord. For Samuel lay down until morning, verse 15, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Can you imagine? I would be too. He's already heard. The man of God already told him. Now he wants me to summarize it and give it to him again. Oh, Lord, you know I love this man. Think of Eli. Put yourself in his place. That would be horrible to do. And so Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. What a wonderful young man. Here I am. <laughs> I, almost, I almost can hear the voice, just a tender, sweet innocent voice. Here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please don't hide it from me. God do so more to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And Samuel told him everything and he hid nothing from them. And notice the resignation now of Eli he said, it is, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. There seems to be this resignation within Eli. He knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time. Have you ever felt that way? where you know you're doing something, and sorry, I know this is kind of a tough topic tonight, but have you ever been doing something and you know it's wrong, and you're just waiting for the hammer to drop? You're just waiting any day. You're like, Lord, how can I be getting away with this? I remember as a young man thinking, and I would just, and, and then after a while, I would kind of get emboldened in it. I'm like, well, I didn't get caught today. I didn't get caught last week, and the year before, I didn't get caught. I don't think I'm going to get caught. I forget that God has given me that long rope He's let out all the spool on the, on the reel, right? He's got the bait at the other end. He's... And he doesn't, even put, he doesn't even rack it in yet. He just lets me run with it. He lets me run with it and run with it and run with it for a year, two years, three years. But notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Where are you going to go when you've willfully sinned against God? Can he forgive you? He can. But here's the deal. This is a serious thing. This is a willful act. 
And that's what these guys were doing. But he says, when there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Is that what Eli was basically thinking? Yes, this is exactly what he was thinking. He said, it is the Lord. <laughs> finally, I've been busted. It finally caught up with me. I confess. I did it. So Samuel grew, notice verse 19, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And I want to show you something really quick here and, and, and just watch this. Turn with me just to verse 4 of this chapter. I want you, I, I'm going I'm to chronicle, I'm going to lay out for you in order the words that Samuel said in this chapter. The only words that he said in this chapter. These are the only words that Samuel said in this chapter. In verse 4 and 5, he says, Here I am, here I am, for you called me. Look at verse 6. What is the word of Samuel? Here I am, for you called me. Look at verse 8. Here I am, for you did call me. Verse 10. Speak, your servant hears. And then in verse 16, here I am. Do you get the, do you get the idea? He's available. <laughs> Here I am, Lord. God would have loved for Eli to have been that way. But Samuel, well, there he was. Notice that these are words of someone who submitted to the Lord. Notice in verse 20, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. I love that. The Lord established him. It reminds me of David when it says that David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, even in spite of the failings that God knew would come in his life. But there's a difference with David. David wasn't one of these guys, we believe, who had some kind of habitual sin. He was, the devil set him up. It was the perfect storm. The perfect storm occurred. And let me tell you, there are perfect storms in your life and I don't want to scare you here, but this is why you ought to pray, because I know that in my life there have been perfect storms where the devil had been waiting years to set me up to a certain thing, and I find myself in it, and the trap is just about to spring, and the Lord allows me to escape, and I look, and I'm like, if I would have thought any different, if I would have done anything different, oh, everything would have been so much different. Believe me, there's perfect storms for you. You've already gone through some of them. Perhaps you have yet to go through some of them. But the thing is, you need to pray. Say, Lord, I don't want a perfect storm. Whatever the devil is doing in my life, whatever he is trying to accomplish, whatever he's trying to accomplish in your life, Lord, thwart that attempt. Whatever he's trying to do in our country, Lord, thwart that attempt. Whatever he is doing, Lord, frustrate every effort that he's doing. Start praying like that because you need to. You need to pray. But the Lord established Samuel as a prophet. And then the Lord, notice, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Because he wasn't there for a long time. No vision, no prophetic utterance at all. It was just going through the motions. Going through the motions. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. I wonder what that was like. Certainly the word of the God, a word of God spoke to him. And I assume that God was continuing to speak to Samuel. Don't you want that relationship with the Lord? Has, he, has, it, has talking to him, has praying become like a ceiling of brass for you? Do you feel like God's not listening? I can tell you this, he is listening. But let your heart be raptured with him again. And how do you do that? Put a smile on the heart of God by believing him, by loving him, by being obedient to him. You know, there's nothing that makes my mother happier than when I was obedient to her. When I loved her and I obeyed her, I show my love by my obedience. I prove it. I prove my love to those I love by doing and it's okay. We should. There has to be action. There's that phrase, talk is cheap. But actions speak louder than words. 
actions. And guys, for us, that means in our marriages. I got fingers pointing right back at me as I point finger at you. I got three pointing back at me. Work at it. Work at it. Read the word of God and obey it. And deal with those areas in your life right now so that God doesn't have to send somebody to you because you're not listening. That's really what this chapter is about. Do you see it? Eli wasn't listening. He has to send somebody else to speak. He still wasn't listening. So then he sends another young man, Samuel. He has to send Samuel. Have you ever been rebuked by an unbeliever? <laughs> have you been out in public and, or somewhere and you've you got an unsafe friend and you say or do something and they're like, you know, that's the last thing I thought a Christian would say. And you're like, <laughs> me too. Has that ever happened to you? There's nothing worse than that. Nothing worse. But, you know, take things seriously. Again, be, be deliberate in everything you do. Be deliberate. Be purposeful with your relationship with the Lord. He loves you. Do you know it? Everybody smile. You know what? His love for you is so great. I just love the fact that he loves me and he loves you. The Bible says with an everlasting love. You know, the Bible also says that judgment is God's strange work. And he's already taken judgment out, out on his son for our sin. So he doesn't need to chasten. He doesn't need to punish us in the sense of judging us for our sin. He's already done that to his son. He's taken the ultimate punishment for us. Now he just chastens us when we go astray. And chastening is with, always with the idea of instruction behind it. It's not just dad getting out the whip and laying, laying me out with it. No, it's not about that. It's, it's instructional. And I love that. That's why whenever we disciplined our daughter as she was growing up, I would tell her why. Honey, do you understand why? Do you understand why we put the cones up at the end of the driveway and as you were driving your big wheel and you wanted to blast through those things, guess what? There's cars coming by there and they're not thinking. They're looking at their phone. They're looking, you know, putting lipstick on their mirror. You know, they're doing all kinds of things and they're zooming right by. They wouldn't see you. You're... That's why. Because I love you. I love you so much I don't want anything to happen to you. That's why I have to do those things. That's why we have to be chastened. You know, the chastening of the Lord is the best because he does it in such a wonderful, loving, caring way. So unlike maybe some parents that you have who weren't really walking. Maybe they didn't even know the Lord. But God is not that way. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And I really hope that tonight, as you go home and as you're on your way, think about the goodness of God and how good he is. He's so wonderful. And one day we're going to stand before him in, in a light that is unapproachable, in a new body that no longer has fits and problems, no sin. We're going to stand before him. And can you imagine just the, the pure worship that can come out of a heart, out of thanksgiving, knowing very well what you deserve, and yet here you are standing among the redeemed. Man, I tell you, that, that's enough to just get your worship going. But he loves you, folks. Never forget God's love for you. He'll never give up on you, no matter how desperate things are, no matter how far you have slunk, no matter how, whatever place that you find yourself in, you are never too far gone for God. He will always come after you. Until the day you take your last breath, he's going to be coming after you because of the great love that he has. Isn't that wonderful? That is such good news. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this reminder tonight, Lord. And um, Lord, help us to be 
Lord, not children that aren't listening, but listening with our eyes and our ears wide open, Lord. Have your way with us, Lord, and, and just love us, Lord. Love us so much that we would just be so willing to give up anything and everything for you, no matter what it is, God. And you only take away the things that aren't good to only to give us the best things. Lord, I've experienced that in my own life. There is nothing that I've ever had to give up that you haven't replaced with something so much better. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. Get them home safely. Encourage them tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.